0: We want to continue this discussion on uh, the devil, uh, the false prophet, and uh, the beast being thrown into the lake of fire, lake of fire and brimstone, and um, how that has been understood and interpreted by. So called end time prophetic voices. Well, it's obvious, isn't it, that there's a reference here to the city, the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember the story God told Abraham that he was about to destroy. Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, and the purpose for telling Abraham that, of course, was that Abraham's nephew, Lot, after his separation from Abraham, found his way down to uh, and lived in the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Specifically, his residence was in Sodom, from which the present uh, English term, sodomy, is derived because of its association with the story in Genesis of uh, the assault upon two angels by a mob. Now some have argued that uh, the assault of these two angels appearing as men was um, more the thing that was being criticized than their intention to commit what now would be called sodomy. Um, How you make those distinctions escapes me because it's one and the same thing. They didn't just assault people uh, to show their lack of hospitality, it was the specific manner of the assault Um, that was so egregious. And all you have to do is to to take it within context of other examples within the Scriptures. But anyway, that's not what I want to to talk about now. I'm not shying away from the subject, it's just not the focus, I want to talk about the lake of fire. And I'm bringing in that reference from the book of Genesis in which Lot, was allowed to escape from the city of Sodom and uh, God destroyed both Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham uh, was told by God that this was going to happen and Abraham bargained with God for the rescue of Lot because he remembered that his nephew lived in Sodom. And uh, the bargaining had to do with, if you find a certain number of righteous souls living in Sodom, would you spare the city? And um, God could not find ten righteous souls living in Sodom. The point was that it was the city was irretrievably corrupt and lost. And the violence, and specifically the sexual violence, associated with the city was in fact the clearest indication of the extremes of its corruption. So. Not even righteous Abraham could prevail in saving the city of Sodom by saving his nephew Lot. When this was fully uh, consummated, the manner of the destruction of Sodom was by, quote, fire and brimstone fire and brimstone oddly enough and i'll come back to that oddly enough the city of sodom was located on the shores of what is now the dead sea in fact there is a, a, a modern there's a town with a modern name similar to sodom that is a mining town uh, there uh, uh, at the, the the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is an inland lake, and it's where the River Jordan uh, flows into it. And there is no outlet to uh, to the Dead Sea. It's contained in that part of Israel and Jordan. Um, one of the sides of the Dead Sea is Jordan's property, or uh, it's a lake, lakefront that border that is part of the country of Jordan. The other is part of the country of Israel. Today, it is rich with various forms of minerals. In fact, I actually visited the the Dead Sea um, and spent a night by the Dead Sea in a hotel uh, on the, on the um, Israeli side of it and you could see people floating. I walked in the Dead Sea, I waded in the Dead Sea and bought mineral products uh, to bring home, uh, they were mostly uh, cosmetic style uh, products uh, that I thought my wife would be interested in. So I've actually been in the place where I'm telling you. Down in, in, uh, down in the Dead Sea, uh, the resort portion of it, they, they talk about the time when the Dead Sea caught fire because there was such a rich concentration of pitch, of bituminous pitch, and other minerals in the water that the the water was was burning, the surface of the water was burning. Um, Here in America, uh, a river in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, caught fire Uh, in the days I think of a mayor whose name was Dennis Kucinich, it's a long time ago, So it's not unusual for, it's not entirely unheard of for conditions to exist that would cause the accumulation of flammable material on the surface of the water. And apparently, in the history of the Dead Sea, there have been times when the surface of the water ignited. Whether or not that was exactly what happened in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is not clear, but what is clear is that that was an area, A, in which Sodom was, and B, that fire and sulfur rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah and that is clearly the analogy being spoken of here. Now, why does God use analogies? The answer is very simple. Human beings need mental devices to which to connect spiritual truths, which for the most part do not manifest themselves in physical terms. So in other words, uh, how do you talk about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Well, you establish the sacrifice of lambs, physical lambs, the offspring of sheep, because they typify innocence, they typify the lack of resistance typify, typify purity. And um, the sufic- all all of which are qualities that attenuate to the sufficiency and relevance of and the qualities of sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Now, does God delight in burned offerings and sacrifices? that's an actual question asked in the Scriptures. No, no, He doesn't. It's not the smell of burning um, animal sacrifices that pleases God, no, that's, the entirety of that is physical. What is the pleasing sacrifice to God is the innocence of Christ, Innocence does not mean the lack of knowledge, the lack of wisdom or understanding. Innocence means not guilty of sin, the purity and holiness of His life. To analogize to that, before the sacrifice of Christ took place, God used the typology of a lamb. That kept it in the culture and kept the culture of Israel uh, that involved uh, sacrifices of lambs connected to an idea whose time would come. So when the time did come, John the Baptist, the prophet said, "...Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." And at that point he wasn't pointing them to the temple in Jerusalem and to the sacrifices of of lambs. He's pointing to a man whose obedience to God, despite all that he knew and was, his obedience to God constituted the quintessence of righteousness and therefore an acceptable sacrifice like an innocent lamb like, the term like, it is like this, is what gives humans the the handholds, the things to hold on to so that they might understand uh, or at least be inclined to understand when when the revelation comes of what is typed or presented in typology in this fashion. So the lake of fire and brimstone specifically references something in the minds of ancient Israel and it was known in that region. Fire and brimstone came down from God and devoured Sodom and Gomorrah in its wickedness, in its wickedness. The surface of the lake in its history had caught fire. And this would be this was and still is a known uh, assertion in Israel even to this day. The ancient world certainly knew about it. Now, what might cause um, The sea of the Dead Sea to ignite. It could be any any number of things, but it would require combustible material floating on the surface. A lightning strike might do it, and such a thing would go on for as long as there was fuel. There's no life in the Dead Sea. In fact, you can float on the water on the surface of the water and there are instructions as to things you should not do in, in the Dead Sea because depending on how you're tipped over it may be difficult to write yourself because of the buoyancy in the surface of the water. It's an unusual body of water and serve the purpose of analogizing to a lake of fire. Because for all the ancients, this was a lake. Today, it is a lake. It's a lake. uh, And so, the reference of lake of fire and brimstone speaks to punishments, like as in the analogy to Sodom and to Gomorrah, which, because of their pervasive corruption and the fact that it was known for its resistance to God, a resistance that was so thorough that no more than four righteous people or four people were allowed to escape Sodom. Those four people were Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. Ten righteous people could not be found in Sodom and God had told Abraham, that if he could find 10 righteous, he would spare the city. It was a city given over to total corruption, much like Gog and Magog, as we said in the last series. Um, this isn't about th- th- this Satan, and uh, as Gog and the n- nations he leads in rebellion against God. As Magog, have resisted the attempts of God to redeem the people from among these nations for a thousand years, even in the absence of Satan's influence. They are so co opted and walk in such darkness that now they have to be, there's no redeeming possible. There's no redemption of any of these people, so they're meant to be destroyed. And and, uh, fire comes down in the fashion of the reference, Sodom and Gomorrah, and devours them. Fire came down out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who had deceived, so the nations were devoured, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now now it goes on to say, "...and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever." Now look, will there be day and night when there is no sun uh, or moon? because it, it is plainly spoken that the, the, the city is lighted by the glory of God and there is no day or night, or rather there is no sun uh, sun and moon. So what exactly does it mean, day and night? If, the, if what makes a day a day what makes a night the night, which is the the relative position to the sun and sunlight, if that's taken out, then what are we talking about as to day and night? Well, it simply means night was the break between the light, between day and day, between day and day there's night. The idea here, again, this is an analogy, it is an unbroken, uninterrupted um, existence, so there's no night breaking in on the day. It means it's a perpetual state. Well what is the perpetual state? Is it of fire and brimstone? Or is that the analogy that captures the principle of punishment um, that lasts in an unbroken way, that's the point. Day and night means uh, it's unbroken. It begs other questions. Satan was a creature of the heavens, this is a punishment on the earth. He's a spiritual being, yes he has a body, but it's a spiritual body. A punishment for a spiritual entity cannot be physical, it have no effect. It have no effect. Can demons be tormented by physical fire? No. Why? because they do not have consumable flesh and physical fire consumes physical things as fuel and keeps going. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were placed in fire, physical fire, were they burned? No. Why? because they were in an environment that was spiritual. How do I know that? Because they met the fourth man. A fourth man appeared amongst them walking with them in the fire, much like Jesus walking on the water, inviting Peter to come out. What I'm saying is, these things are not meant to be taken literally. If you do, you have to go all the way with them and look at all the facts. You can't partially decide that, well, it's like this because it says that, but it's not like this because it can't function that way, but I don't really care, this is the outcome I like. No, it's this kind of ignorance, willful, intractable ignorance, that God is now blowing away. Now, am I going to be surprised if people continue to say, well, I like what I've always studied because so-and-so wrote a book years ago, uh, late great planet earth for example, or any one of these prognosticators slash prophets who comment on, quote, end time stuff. Uh, said so, I don't frankly care who said what. I'm calling persons to account for what the Scriptures say. And in these things I'm showing you that God always knew that His audience needed analogies to understand things that were not otherwise understandable. If you can't see, for example, that the reason lambs were offered before Jesus, the Lamb of God, came was because we needed analogies. But is Jesus a four-footed creature? Was He sacrificed wearing a wool coat like a sheep, like a young sheep, a lamb? No, that's absurd and I frankly don't care how deeply affected one is uh, emotionally by these mental pictures, they are only analogies. Children like to hold on to fond memories. Adults recognize the need to extrapolate the wisdom that is contained in the analogies while being free to jettison the analogies, much like scaffolding on a building. When a building is built, you don't see people holding on to the scaffolding and saying, well, this was very useful. No, when you're building the building, the scaffolding is not considered inappropriate. When a building is complete, the scaffolding is an unsightly marring of the of the edifice so it is when we were children god spoke to us as children when we become adults we are to put away childish things is it not said that the book of concerning the interpretation of the book of revelation that men of wisdom will be given to understand things that are mysteries. People like to think that there's an egalitarian approach to understanding Scripture, which is, well, we all can hear God, so whatever we think. Well, look, if you're unschooled in your understanding, it will reflect in your conclusions. And by this I don't mean that you have to go and study and study and study, I do mean you have to hear from God because the wisdom to understand and unpack the book of Revelation comes from the one who wrote it, not primarily from study. But if you'll seek God diligently and you are familiar with the Scriptures... Scriptures, to become familiar with the Scriptures is not a hit or miss proposition, it requires a life of dedication. Some people dedicate their lives to business so they should make money and they should be wealthy. But those same people are highly unlikely to have dedicated their lives to the study of the Scriptures. So they're not going to know the Scriptures although they're wealthy and influential. Who should you listen to? someone who is a success at business or at politics or someone who has successfully navigated the Scriptures with wisdom and integrity for decades. I know what I would choose, but God is not obligated, nor is He bound to, an egalitarian approach, that's why He gives us those who carry the wisdom of God in these matters. And if you'll be wise, then listen to them. What is the point of tormented day and night forever? Well the whole picture is that of the devil being rejected for having lived a life an existence opposing God. Such a person cannot be reconciled to God and therefore lives without purpose in creation. As long as such a person lives, when they are in a condition of judgment, God is the consuming fire and their time and condition of judgment is one in which they are stripped of their defenses and of their disguises. So the condition here of continuous torment is that of being fully revealed and completely without influence. As long as Satan can influence the nations, he has purpose, but when, as this indicates, he's fired his last shot, he's been brought to his end, he and all of those in existence whom he might deceive are now destroyed and everyone else has chosen to reject him, then what is his condition? The darkness must face the light. When the darkness of Satan's deception and his nature faces the light of God's consuming fire, He has no purpose and no ability to influence anyone in existence at that time in regards to anything. That's the torment, pointlessness, meaninglessness, neutralized, without influence, He doesn't have to continue to physically exist or to actually exist. Any reference to His name or His character will always be one in which He is stripped of all of His pretenses and is rendered useless and actually He is the analogy for everything that one ought never be, any reference to it? An example of that is this, if the name Judas Iscariot is spoken today, or just the name Judas, what is the emotion, what is the mindset that attenuates that? just the mention of that name? Yes, my point exactly. Betrayer, deceiver, backbiter, betrayer of friend, counterfeit, one who sells out. The consciousness of that being associated always with this this reputation makes him impossible to rehabilitate. At that juncture it doesn't matter if the entity exists or doesn't exist, if the person exists or doesn't exist, they're permanently revealed by the existence of the light. When God allowed darkness to be part of creation, Satan had an environment in which to exist. When God Himself now consumes the darkness with the light of His presence, for God is a consuming fire and what He consumes is darkness, He does not leave the darkness Dark. He penetrates it in the way that light is capable of penetrating darkness and every hidden thing is disclosed for exactly what it is. If that's your environment, if that's your reputation, if that's your food and fuel, then you're consumed. In that sense, certainly there is a continuous torment. The lake of fire has many occupants and it consumes many things. I'll only refer to a little bit more of that in the next broadcast as we go forward to talking about the descending city. The descending city. I'm Sam Solon. I'll talk to you then. Bye now.